One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Scoopy Radio. In the airways, on the plane, on the train. Everywhere you need to be, I am Brandon Scoopy Robinson. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Scoopy, Instagram and Snapchat at Scoop underscore B. Make sure to subscribe to the Scoopy Radio podcast, which is available on all platforms, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn app, Stitcher app, or simply make sure you visit ScoopBradio.com. Scoopy Radio had 3.5 million streams last year. Had anybody from the voice of Siri, DJ Khaled, Mark Cuban, and this special guest, the original Scoop, we got Robert Scoop Jackson on the line of ESPN and Strong Island Media. What's going on, sir? What's up, sir? What's going on, man? Thanks for Scoop. having me. I appreciate it. I'm wonderful, Scoop. How are you? I am, <laughs> I, I am wonderful, Scoop. It's getting, uh, it's, the collective is getting uh, large right now. Did you know that uh, Brian Windhorse from ESPN, his nickname is Scoop as well? Are you serious? Dead serious. Yep. Wow. Yeah. How did you get the nickname Scoop? Uh, mine came at birth, man. Mine's birth certificate, uh, the whole thing. I was literally born the day after JFK was assassinated. Okay. And my father at the time was a newspaper reporter. My father was the first black newspaper reporter in Chicago, one of the first 10 in the country. Mm -hmm. And because he was a reporter, my mother's brother, my uncle made the joke when my mother was going into labor uh, she said, Bob, I mean, he said, Bob, you having a son is going to scoop Kennedy. Hmm. The, you know, the news you having a son is going to scoop Kennedy. <laughs> and literally right there, it was given to me like, that's, yeah, that's it. And, so your um, middle name is actually Scoop? My middle name is, is, is Robert, and in quotation, Scoop, Arthur Jackson III. The wow. middle name is my grandfather. So. Wow. You know, and, and the, the nickname wound up being Scoopy with a Y. So it sounds funny because you go Scoopy and mine is actually Scoopy. Wow. So it's funny that my wife, my wife still calls me Scoopy because we grew up together. So she's been knowing me since, like, I was six and she was two years old. Her, my wife's sister and I were in first grade together. So we go, like, we got history, history, right? Yeah. So it's funny. Any, so she still calls me Scoopy from, like, when mm -hmm. we were growing up. And anybody that we run into, anybody that calls me Scoopy, she's like, oh, they've known you. You know what I'm saying? It's like, that's a, <laughs> yeah. right, right, right. That's just a dead away indicator that 
they know you for like, you know, they got 40 years or something like that, you know, so yeah, no, but Scoop is, uh, it, it's official, man. Like a ref with a whistle. <laughs> <laughs> Robert Scoop Jackson on the line of Scoopy Radio, available on all platforms. Uh, your journey to me is interesting, and, I, and I'll tell you this. Um, number one, you talked about um, your nickname being Scoop. It's funny. So I'll be on the phone with people, and they'll be like, yo, I got Scoop on the line. They'll be like, you on the line with Scoop Jackson? They'll be like, no, nah, I'm on Scoop B. <laughs> no, nah, I don't know him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I apologize for that, man. <laughs> I apologize to put you, you know, you, you had to go through that. So, you know, yeah, it's, um, I, I'm sure you do. And it's not, you know, I don't think it has anything to do with like, you know, status or stature. Or anything. Mm-hmm. I just happened to come into the game, you know, um, and, and use the name, uh, before other people did, you know what I'm saying? That's the way I look at it. Yeah. 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 You, you, um... Now I heard, now wait, I, I'm, 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 you can tell me if you're familiar with this. A uh, guy affiliated with Sports Illustrated. Mm-hmm. Scoop Action. Action. I've heard that name. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. That kind of messed my head up. I'm like, whoa, okay. <laughs> it's a lot of scoops. It's a lot yeah, of scoops. Yeah, I know. I say, you know, it's, you know hey, I, I, I try to, you know, um, I'm, I'm like, you know, when uh, Jordan, when Cat started wearing Jordans, because Jordan mm-hmm. back in the day was the only one wearing Jordans, the other players wore it. Mm-hmm. You know, they always wanted his blessing. Mm-hmm. You know, and I ain't like giving a blessing. You know, I'm just like, like Jordan said, don't don't mess up the shoes. You know, <laughs> just don't mess up the shoes. And everybody who's like, you know, um, donned or been given the scoop, you know, uh, moniker, you know, it has not messed it up at all. No, at and all. it and it has to be given. It does it? Is that what it is? So. So I got the nickname Scoop B because I started you, – you, I know you're – we talk. You're a little familiar with my story, but yep. I was doing radio with the Nets as a kid at 12 years old. I had a radio show with Albert King my and man. Evan Roberts, who does uh, Sports Radio 66 WSAN in New York City. And I used to be a kid just getting interviews in the locker room. So the co-host was like, man, you know everything that's going on. You got to have a nickname. It's Scoop B. So, like, people will come on Twitter and be like – he don't have no scoops. Like, they'll call me Brandon No Scoop Robinson. They'll, you know how people are on Twitter. Yep. But yep. I always tell people, people say, he, he probably gave himself that nickname. I'd be like, nah, they gave me that nickname. You can't give yourself a nickname. Like, you know, we may agree to disagree because of who you asked. Like, Howard gave himself the nickname Superman. Shaq right. was given that name. Right. There's right. a difference. Right. Yo, there's, look, I – People, but you're living, we're living in a day and age now, fam, that people do give themselves mm-hmm. names. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I, so I, 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 I'm not saying you're doing it. I'm saying, you know, <laughs> it, it's been done. Oh, yeah. It, it, sure. It's been done. I, I've, I've always asked, like, and even though I'm a fan of the group, who was the first one to call the Roots legendary? Them. Thank you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> they named themselves the Legendary Roots Crew. Yeah. Which is a dope-ass name, but still, they gave it to themselves. Yeah. You know, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm just, Lord knows it's going to be shade, but it's not really shade. I'm just asking a question. It's fair. Who down LeBron the king? Who gave LeBron. him that name? Okay. LeBron. But you know what? I'll tell you something, Scoop. Um, I believe... 
that that's why LeBron got so much criticism early on. Because yeah, you have you have the tattoo on your back. I like LeBron. I don't have a problem with LeBron. Yeah, yeah, no, but right, right, exactly. chosen one on his back. Yep. And you came in with a fanfare that was never seen before. Kobe Bryant didn't even have that fanfare person right. right away, but he right. lived up to those expectations. Right. But right. I believe that's why people gave him. There was a perception that he was arrogant. No. If you saw the Lion King, Mufasa told Simba, "Remember." Yeah. Yeah, but you have to understand, and I get it. And I was I was around him at that time, and I mm-hmm. it it was it wasn't arrogance as much as as I think people took it as a sense of entitlement mm-hmm. that was self imposed. Mm-hmm. Um, but keep in mind, you know, no other athlete, American athlete, had been given. And I'm thinking of the King Griffey Juniors, the Daryl Strawberries, the Tiger. I'm thinking of the Prodigy Prodigy, even John Macker. I'm thinking of the Prodigies that, you know, we started talking about at early ages. Nobody was given anything like LeBron was given, especially mm-hmm. in team sports. Mm-hmm. And he actually found a way to, even at an early age, live up to that. Um, and he's lived actually past that. As as he's gotten older, so I, I think there was a sense of, well, who does this kid think he is? And I remember coming into the league, man, in high school. There were so many players I had talked to that couldn't wait for him to get in the league because all they were going to do was get in his ass. That's mm-hmm. all they, they were like. I can't wait, you know. And I'm not naming names or anything, mm-hmm. but everyone was waiting, and you know, he's like, okay, you know, wait on. And I think. As much as it may have been him self-imposing a sense of entitlement, and as much as it may have come off as him being arrogant, it did give him something to internally live up to Hmm. that forced him not to lay back on the laws that came early. Help me understand something. Mm Mm-hmm. I have heard those same stories about LeBron or similar stories of people like the old heads that, or even, you know, young guys can't wait for them to come in. What would you say the difference between what in that case with LeBron and players wanting him to come in because they wanted to give him a two piece in the bits in the court. What's the difference between that and old heads having a problem with Kobe because he was such ahead of his time early, the early years of him with the Lakers. Because Kobe didn't get the the height that LeBron did. You, you remember Kobe caught a few people, and when I feel, mean a few, I mean a few million people by surprise. Okay. You know, um, we knew the kid was good, but playing in, you know, in Philly and never really seeing his entire high school career, never talking about him so early. We really didn't know that much about Kobe by the time he got to lead Jerry West on. Mm-hmm. You know, Jerry West was like, yo, I've I, I seen the future. And I remember seeing the Slam magazine. I was looking at Allen Iverson. I'm like, well, I've seen a picture in the NBA. This dude, I didn't. Kobe snuck up on a lot of people. So he didn't have that hype. LeBron, if you think about it, we basically started that train at Slam magazine. And I think it was his sophomore year we gave him the basketball diary. Mm-hmm. Something we reserved for seniors. Mm-hmm. And we gave it to him. And by the time he was a junior. Uh, going into his senior year, he had 
already had a nationally televised game. I don't think ESPN had televised a high school game in maybe 20 years. Mm -hmm. His senior year, he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And they moved the McDonald's All-American game to his hometown. Yeah. So Kobe didn't have any of that, my man. You know what I'm saying? So Kobe's arrogance of coming in and knowing straight out of high school that he was the best guy in the league, you know, was a little bit different, Mm -hmm. you know, when it comes to players. And plus he came in playing with Shaq. So even though he knew he was the best player on the team, he still was under somebody else's shadow. LeBron, when he came through, there was no shadow. I mean, Cleveland was one big-ass shadow anyway. But <laughs> <laughs> but he was protected. But, right. But, no, he was, he, was, he, was, he was actually as big as the place that he was playing. Kobe mm-hmm. wasn't as big as L.A. Kobe wasn't as big as Shaq. You know, Kobe wasn't as big as Michael. You know, mm-hmm. there, were, there were things that were still, you know, the center to what Kobe was orbiting around. LeBron in high school, he was the son. The entire high school basketball culture was orbiting around him. You know what I'm saying? So by the time he got to leave, and he didn't go to a team where they had another future Hall of Famer superstar on it, he inherited an entire franchise in the city that he came up in that the only thing bigger than him in that state was Ohio State. Football. That's it. Mm -hmm. So... I think all of that goes into play into why players were like felt you know felt a different way about him than they did about Kobe, you know, and that's that that's nothing LeBron can control. Get get that, Mm-mm. Mm-mm. you know, he and Kobe may have shared the same type of arrogance, you know, and yeah. the same type of self you know self self fulfilling prophecy of how great they were going to be. And but, I also yeah, but LeBron came in different. Here's the difference though. Here's the, mm-hmm. I, I want to be quick with this real quick. The difference was that. The more people got to know LeBron, his teammates in the league included, started to have that disappear, that I'm going to get in him. I'm going to give him these two pieces. I can't wait for this. It wanted to disappear because, oh, he's a cool guy. Mm -hmm. He's he's all right, and he really can play. The kid can play, so I'm giving him more credit than I gave him coming in because he's legit. Kobe's went the other way. People knew he was legit playing, but his attitude Mm -hmm. turned even his teammates off. Like, you know what I'm saying? So it's kind of reversed. With every, even Kelby's teammates wanted to get in him yeah, after I, they got to know him. So it kind of reversed itself once they both had a couple of years into the league. So Maki Walker told me one time he and Kobe got into it over a $100 bet. Kobe sucker punched him. Oh, that's easy. <laughs> that's easy. Look, man, you, you had people that were Kobe fans happy to see what Chris Childs did to him. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that love Kobe. Mm-hmm. Look, man, and, and what I think it was Robert Ory, and, mm-hmm. and I maybe I'm pretty sure it was Robert Ory or Rick. I can't remember Robert Ory, Rick Fox. Uh, let me see, Rick Fox had just got married to Vanessa Williams. It was one of the two. I can't pinpoint who it was, but probably Robert Ory. If if I'm wrong, Bob, get at me. But he made a great point to me. Kobe's second, or after his rookie year, maybe his second or his third. I forgot which one it was. But he made a great point that said a lot about Kobe. He said if dude wasn't such a – and this is teammate at the time. Mm-hmm. He said if dude wasn't such an asshole, we'd tell him he's the best player on his squad. And Shaq hmm. was still there. And Shaq was still there. That's a teammate. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? 
But Kobe needed because Kobe came in the way he did because he wasn't highly touted like LeBron was because he didn't come in as as royalty and he knew in his mind he was just as good you know as anybody else in the league or you know he was that dude that the fact that y'all didn't recognize that immediately and he knew that everybody was his enemy it wasn't Makes like sense. he had to prove it to the league. He had to prove it to everybody in practice. Like, y'all not going to bow down to me right now? Okay. I'm not, I'm not messing with you anymore. You know what I'm saying? Because now you're an opponent to me. You're yeah. my teammate, but, you know, I, I got to see these opponents 82 games a year. I got to see you 116 because that's two days. That's practice. So, you know what I'm saying? Every time we step in between this line, you're my opponent because I have and to I prove think, something to you. And, 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 and I that's think that's kind of more Michael. That's Michael-like. Yeah, but Kobe doesn't have Michael's charm. Yes. Bill Clinton and Michael Jordan are the most charming individuals I've ever met. And they're both the two most <laughs> arrogant individuals I've ever met in my life. <laughs> and they both lived up to it. It's a beautiful thing. My, my mother told me, you know, a black man without arrogance, and I can't say it on the air, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> black man in this country without arrogance is basically meaningless. <laughs> it's yes. useless. Yes. So you have to have that. And Michael Jordan and Bill Clinton are two of the most arrogant individuals I've met in my life, but they also are the most two most charming individuals mm-hmm. outside of a legitimate pimp. <laughs> <laughs> I, believe, I believe that. I right, believe you know that. what I'm saying? So, and, and, and both of them have that quality in them. So hmm. I think, you know, when you're dealing with Mike, and that arrogance, that's fine, but he can charm you into not believing that he's not that arrogant, which he really is. And that's a, that's a good thing because it's work for him. Kobe doesn't have that charm. He's not that personable. He's becoming that now that he's not playing. Do you recognize mm-hmm. how much different he is now? Mm-hmm. He's palatable. I mean, even when that situation happened on, on our social media with that with that girl, and he was teasing her. She had a violin concert or something. He, he changed the caption and, you know, explained what he meant. Yeah. Old Kobe wouldn't have cared. No, nah, exactly. 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 Because he still would have been in competitive mode. Kobe really came into the game of basketball wanting to be – everyone wants to come into basketball being the best player ever. You know, and he came even to the game like a lot of cats do. So he came and wanted to be the best player ever. But he was the one that was willing to go through the fire to actually make it happen. A lot of people say they want to be, but understand, there's no way in hell I'm going to ever be better than Mike. You know what I'm saying? They know that. Like, it's not going to happen. You know, I want to be that way, and that's the goal. That's my carrot. You know, I'm going to do this, that, and the other, but, I, you know, it's not going to happen. You know, that's a lie you tell, your, tell yourself, and wherever you land, you're good with it, right? Yeah. Kobe just wasn't that one dude. He was like, mm, nah, uh, I'm going to make this happen. And in order to make that happen, I can't focus on anything else. I can't be anything else. I'm not going to have any friends. You know what I'm saying? I'm, it's going to be literally me against the world. You see that whole, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so versus everybody. That's a slogan. But Kobe, that was his life. Hmm. And he lived that life. And dude came damn close, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, he came damn close. And I think he needed that. And I think that's why you're seeing a different Kobe now because 
he didn't allow himself to be anything else other than what he had conditioned himself to be mentally, physically, socially, while he was still playing basketball. Another larger-than-life uh, figure that you profiled was Shaquille O'Neal. And in your first article at Slam Magazine in January of 1995, you wrote something called The Large Professor. Right. Which Tony Gervino gave the name. I give him credit for that. That was uh... a... <sighs> It was funny because that was, that was our first time that we had talked on the phone, and we both – that was actually our, both of our first issues. We both came in. Tony and I came in and slammed together on issue three. So mm-hmm. that was really our first big thing. Um, and I'm, I'm going to let you ask a question. I'm sorry, but no, no. It's, 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 I, that, that, I was not supposed to get that story. I, I kind of um, backdoored my way into that story. Uh, the assignment that they had given me was to cover the McDonald's All-American camp, which I did. Mm-hmm. And that was the camp that uh, Kevin Garnett was there, Vince Carter was there, Shea Cotton was there, Paul Pierce was there. Uh, ooh, who else? Uh, there was a few. There was, they, there was, it was thorough. Mm-hmm. They had some ball players there. I mean, and I covered the camp, and the thing was, just covered the camp, 350-word story. I was like, okay, I did that, but I'm like, mm, I, I don't think these because I had never written sports before. I've never done, I had never done sports. They were familiar with my other writing, and I'm saying, let me at least show these cats that I can write. So I sent them a 350 piece, but then I sent them a 1200 piece, hmm. just to prove, all right, well, this is the story you want, but this story, this story it could be. You know, if you really want a story, here's a 1200 word piece on the exact same camp, flushed out, better written, included more. You know. You know, here's a short feature, here's a feature. And because I did that, I think Tony was like, oh, this cat can, he's he's not bad. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. He's not bad because after I turned in that story, he's like, hey, man, the Dream Team 2, because that's what they were called. Mm -hmm. It's going to be in Chicago. You think you can get Shaq? I'm like, let's try. You know what I'm saying? I don't think that ever would have happened had I not gone out on my own to do that policy that we say you got to, you know, you got to lose a million to make two million. You know, mm. so I'm saying I'm gonna give them something free. I'm gonna give them something they didn't ask for, you know, and, and see where that takes me. And I think, in my mind, still to this day, I think that's what got me that Shaq story. So I tell you that before you even ask questions. Go ahead. I'm sorry, man. Okay, so you, I guess you kind of you, you set the bridge. I set the intro. You gave me the you gave me the hook. I'm gonna get you to the to the, to the next part. There you go. You connected with Shaq in Chicago. How did that come about? How long did it take you to get everything you needed? <laughs> Okay, are you, are you asking this question because you know the story or because you know Shaq? <laughs> I know Shaq. All right, <laughs> but I don't know the story. All right, no, nah, man. Dude, dude played me like, man, like a uh, a penny with a hole in it, as my girl would say. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I want to know more. <laughs> you know, I talked to Dominique Wilkins. Who else did I talk to on that squad? Scotty Pippen, um, I talked to a few players on the squad, and I, you know, I talked to Shaq. And it was the last day of their train in Chicago, and he's like, look, man, you know, um, yeah, let me go get some, um, let me get this massage going on, get in this hot tub, and, uh, yeah, I'll be, you know, yeah, as soon as I get out of there, you know, we're good to go. And I was like, okay, cool. So I'm sitting in the gym, you know, like I said, I'm talking to other players, and said, I'm waiting on Shaq, man. And they start turning off the lights. I'm like, 
what the hell? And they're like, can we help you? I'm like, yeah, I'm waiting on Shaquille. Said, oh, man, he, he left a long time ago. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, you know, and I didn't, you know, I didn't know that game, you know, because I was, I was young to the sports game as far as writing was concerned at the mm-hmm. time. So it's that thing where, like, you know, uh, you know, just give me, you know, give me five minutes. You know, uh, and you know, I'll be back in fifteen. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, th- that that you know that kind of movie. He just played me, and they just left and let me stand it there. So I wound up getting his agent, and I forgot what his agent's name was. So I tracked his agent down, and you know, told him what we we're trying to do. And at the time, you know, what I'm saying Slam was only two issues in, mm-hmm. only two issues in, and we came out at the same time as Vibe magazine. Hmm. And Vibe was much more known because at the time, Vibe was owned by Time Warner. <laughs> Slam was independent for the most part because Harris Publications is a small independent publishing company. And they had, they had done larger magazines, but nothing culturally on this scale. So when I presented myself as, hey, man, Scoop Jackson, you know, Slam Magazine, whatever. You know what I'm saying? It was like the whatever piece. So I... You know, go through the hassle, track down Shaq's agent, his manager, this, that, and the other. They catch Shaq in L.A. at a, either a foot locker or a foot action, signing shoes. And dude, like, just puts me on the phone with Shaq right there while he's at a whole other event. And that's the interview. Whoa. <laughs> Seriously, that's the interview. So I, I, I get, like, you know, I get... I forgot what it was, maybe 12, 15 minutes, you know, mm-hmm. of Shaq half-ass paying attention, right, to what's going on, get the story, drop the interview. Tony comes up with Large Professor, which was Tony's genius, you know, because I know Tony looked at this and was like, ah, I got to find a way to make this work, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? So, mm-hmm. um, but I gave him the best that I could, you know, and I, yeah, I, I, gave, him, I gave him the best that I could. And what wound up happening is that the way we structured the interview with the intro and, you know, rearranged the questions to get the story right, you know, to give it some more feel, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to, to, you know, basically, you know, to deal, make something out of nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it stuck. It wound up being a decent, decent Q&A, a decent inside look at Shaq. And we asked questions that, you know, basically hadn't been asked. Nothing, you know, huge or anything like, but strictly just basketball based, you know, and, you you kind of felt some of Shaq's personality. It was it was it was you know it was decent at the time. Mm-hmm. So that's how that came out. Sold very well. Uh, Larry Johnson was the first cover. Sean Kemp was the second one. Shaq was a big deal because not that they weren't large, but Shaq is you know Shaq was a big deal. Mm-hmm. He was Shaq. Forward wait forward wide to the NBA Finals that year, where Orlando gets in. Mm-hmm. Game one in Houston. I'm sitting by the scores table when the players come out to do early shoot around. Shaq sees me. I have not seen him since he ghosted me mm-hmm. in Chicago. Now Shaq is probably two ninety five now. He ain't you know, he's not Shaq, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> You know, he's still eclipsing, you know. <laughs> right. Right, other solar systems. But he runs across the court 
from, you know what I'm saying, from I, he, I, and he runs. Like, he runs. And rolls Scoop up B on radio. you. And if you ever had Shaq roll up on you, it gets dark real quick. You know yes. what I'm saying? Because it's yes. light. So, yes. And I'm like, what the? And he's like, yo, my man. My man, look. And he straight up apologized. He like, I read the story. That was so dope. Man, I ain't, man, I ain't know y'all were doing things like that. You know, basically he's like, I'm sorry I played you all. If mm-hmm. I had known you all were like rocking and rolling like that. You know, he was basically straight up apologetic, gave me love. You know, all that, just all that. I was like, whoa. You know. And I'm like, okay. You know. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah. That was like, yo, I was like, okay. I had, I didn't thought, you know, I think we were like, at by that time, we were issue number five, I think. You know, so we've mm-hmm. done a couple of issues. So, you know, we tried to get, make a little noise. And I think Shaq really got a sense to see what we were about. And he was like, damn, I shouldn't have played. You know what I'm saying? I, 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 you know, I played the wrong one. He really, literally ran over and apologized. How do you think he put two and two together? Um, I think, honestly, I think somebody read the story that we did on him and said, man, you need to read this. You need to see this. And he read the story and then looked through the magazine. He's like, oh, this is kind of dope. And it hit his radar. And then the next issue, I think, was John Starks. I think John Starks was was it John? Was it John Starks or was it? Latrell Sprewell. No. The next issue after that was Latrell Sprewell and Timmy Hardaway because we went out to uh, Oakland to shoot them mm-hmm. with the Golden State Warriors. Mm-hmm. And then issue number five was Michael Jordan. Hmm. And I think if you go back and read those, you know, we were starting to really find our voice. You know, we were starting to, we, we found a groove because, um, Tony and I worked together for you know we were you know we you know we find ourselves and I think that came across so I think somebody put the magazine in Shaq's hand his issue mm-hmm. he read the story he read the rest of the magazine said it's okay and then I think once it resonated like a lot of other people did they started like you know okay this is you know reading next oh this is dope oh this is you know what I'm saying now it's like okay I get what they're doing this you know this yeah. is different this yeah. is different this is this this speaks to me. You know, this isn't necessarily Sports Illustrated. This isn't Sport Magazine. This isn't Sport News. This isn't USA Today. This is different. Mm-hmm. You know what they're doing is straight up different. You know, we went, we went, we went to Latrell Sweetwell and Timmy Hardaway, and spoke to them about in the in the middle of a basketball conversation about gym shoes. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Which is something no nobody else would ever do. But we're talking about Timmy because he left Adidas and went to Nike. And I think I forgot Latrell left somewhere and went to Adidas. So we're having a shoe wars argument about sneakers. Hmm. And no sport magazine does that because nobody gave a damn. That's not a part of the game, but it's a part of the culture. And that's what we were about. So I think, you know, if you look at the early fan days, it's still that way now. But if you look at the early fan days, those are the things that people picked up on. And I think Shaq was probably one of those people that, you know, after reading the issue with him in it, he read the next one. I was like, oh, you know, this is kind of, you know, this, all right, I, you know, this is different. You know, yeah. and I think that's what got it. I think that's what brought it in full circle. So funny story. <clears throat> you had to convince Slam 
to get Allen Iverson on the cover of the magazine while he was still playing basketball at Georgetown. And yeah. you threatened to resign if it didn't happen. Yes. When I was a kid, and I had my radio show with the Nets, I ain't going to name no names, but I'll never forget the 76ers came to town. And I wanted to interview Allen Iverson. This was like year two. And mm-hmm. I'll just say that the powers, by, the powers that be told my parents that Brandon could not interview Allen Iverson, and that hurt my heart. Wow. And this was around the time that Hoop airbrushed his tattoos yeah. for the magazine. Yep. And it just, I didn't understand it. I obviously get it now. Right. Was it the same type of situation with you and Slam? Uh, No, it, not really. It was more about the business side of it because at the time when we were doing that issue, one, Slam had never had a college basketball player on the cover of the magazine. Two, Allen Iverson was not known outside the trial that he went through in high school. Mm. Um, and the publisher's main concern was who the hell is going to buy this magazine outside of New York and Washington, D.C.? Hmm. Who the hell knows who Allen Iverson is? And keep in mind, Allen Iverson was the defensive player of the year in the Big East at the time. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Ray mm. Allen was more known than Allen Iverson was. Mm-hmm. at the time. So um, I just happened to catch Allen at a summer league game at, 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 uh, at, at, at Kenner mm-hmm. and was like, oh, my God. I didn't know, man. I ain't going to lie. I ain't know. I knew Allen Iverson, the football player. I knew he hooped. I knew Allen Iverson, the football player. I knew the trial situation. But I didn't know he hooped like that because he we went to the Kenner League, man. He was killing like killing, and I had gotten word, and that's the beauty of having Slam Magazine, you know, being unlike most of the other magazines out at the time, is that we're speaking about the culture of basketball, not just the game, not just the NBA or NCAA, and not just hype. We're talking about the entire culture of the game. So when somebody's going off in summer league, people are like, yo, this is right up y'all alley. Scoop B Radio. Y'all, y'all still for you, yeah, because every issue we're telling stories about playground legends. That was our thing. You know, we're telling their stories. That's the reason That's the reason the magazine was started, because of the playground. Right. So when we got word that Allen Iverson was averaging 50 in the summer league against pros in D.C. in the Kinder League, we're like, oh. And I literally was at the U.S. Open. I took a, you know, I like, I'm like, I'm I left New York and went straight to D.C. and called one of his games. And that's when I called the publisher. After that game, I'm like, Dennis, <laughs> let me tell you something, man. <laughs> and that's what I'm saying. I knew because watching Allen in, I said, I, I see the future of the game. Hmm. I saw the future of basketball and Allen Iverson that day. Look, man, I walked into that game at halftime. This team was down by 20. He's sitting on the sideline arguing, the whole halftime arguing with his coach. Like, and his coach is like you and I, just a regular dude. I don't know if he's on the AAU. I don't know if he's on the block. I didn't know what dude's business was. But Allen is in the, they just argue. You know, just arguing. And and it's like I said, he had 20 points. His team was down by 22. That's what I, that's what I walked into. Man, Allen's team won the game, and he finished with 60. Damn. Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Right. So you think about the half of basketball that I saw. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I'm like, so I'm on the phone immediately like, yo, Dennis. We got to put this dude on the cover. And his thing was not about anything. You know, Allen Allen had one tattoo. That was the Georgetown Bulldog tattoo. 
Mm-hmm. Hair was still Caesar. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? He was. It was. It wasn't even. He was just. He was Chuck. It was easy. Mm-hmm. It had nothing to do with the persona or anything. It was just about. Nobody knew who Allen Iverson was outside of that East Coast, outside of D.C. and New York. That's it. So it was a money thing, and we had never done that before. So that's that. That was the pushback. And in, in, in full disclosure, you know, I have a tendency to talk a lot of ish. Sugar honey iced tea. Right. You know, as and and I've, I've been nicknamed by you know even Sheena Lester called me the ish talk extraordinaire. <laughs> You know, right. So, so I've been known. So I'm saying, when I said to Dennis, I will step. I don't necessarily know if I'd have done it. You know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. my wife would have been the first to check me. Mm-hmm. As she always says, "All right, what's your plan? <laughs> you can't step without a plan." You know what I'm saying? And at the time, I didn't really have a plan. You know, we just trying to make Slam Magazine work. So I don't know if I actually would have stepped. I said that. Now, you know, I could have gone, I could have freelanced my way back into whatever, but I'm just saying, I, I don't want you to, I, I, I talk about this story and I'm like, I'm trying to be full honest. I told Dennis, I would leave it. I don't know if I would have. And like I said, my wife would have been like, don't be a damn fool. She's like, I married a fool, but I ain't married no damn fool. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> don't turn idiot right now. Get a plan together. So, you know, I, and, and Dennis, I don't think wasn't he wasn't gonna let me walk, you know, because he knew what we were building. He's been in magazines a long time. He knows when you have a strong team, you do whatever you can to keep that team together. But he did put Allen on the cover, <clears throat> not for pushback purposes, but to prove a point, you know. And he said that to me, and in that moment, you know, after going into the office discussing this and that, he's like, "Look, man, you got this writing thing down. That's cool, but I, I've been doing this publishing thing as long as you've been alive. You know what I'm saying?" Mm-hmm. So almost like, you know, you do your lane, I let me do my lane. But to prove to you that you don't know my lane, I'm going to put Allen Iverson on the cover, which he did. But he kept it regional. He kept it East Coast. Okay. And he put Akeem Olajuwon on the other one. Because hmm. we, we had not given Akeem a cover yet. And, of course, you know, come on, we should have done that a long time ago. You know what I'm saying? But at least, you know, those people down south, you know, those people in middle America, you know, those people on the West Coast, you know, whatever we were doing internationally, at least there was some recognition to who Akeem Olajuwon was. You know, because yeah. could you imagine being in Seattle, Wisconsin, and right, like, who the hell is, you know, and once again, Slam has not built up a name for itself yet where we can do something like that and take that type of hit. You know, when you're building momentum, you want to keep that momentum going. You know, and those those are things that in the publishing game, a lot of times us that are content creators don't take consideration because mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're removed from the money part of it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the things you went through with Allen Iverson were very different than what I went through from a resistance standpoint. Mm-hmm. This was strictly about money, not about Allen and who he became. Because once he became that, um, the issue that we put out originally with him at Georgetown, which ended up, to Dennis's point, the worst-selling issue in the history of Slam. Like, nobody bought that issue. Talk about Alan Iverson? Yeah, the first one, the one we're talking about, to Georgetown. Really? Nobody. It was the so worst-selling. He, right. he was right, and that's what he told me. He was like, see, I'm trying to tell you. But 
Remember that comment I made earlier about you got to lose a million to make two million? Mm-hmm. We were one of the first magazines, I think us in the sporting news, were the first ones to put him Scoop on the cover B of a magazine. And it was the interview itself where we, if you read the interview, we never, ever, ever even touched anything about the trial, about him being in jail. We spoke about basketball, man. We're a basketball magazine. That's what we do. And, you know, um, I'll tell you off air the fight that John Thompson and I went through to get that interview done. But I don't want to be that long-winded. Okay. That's another story to that story. <laughs> I want to we'll, we'll, know. We'll say, we'll, we'll say that for the uh, Slam 40 for 40. There you go. 40 for 40. There you go. There you go. Um, but because we were one of the first ones to recognize Allen and put him on the cover of the magazine, he stayed loyal to Slam throughout his whole career. And we were able to always go to him and do things with him that he did for and found time for nobody else but us because of that. So, yes, he was right initially and in that from a publishing standpoint, this is worth selling. I told you it wasn't going to make us money. Yeah, but you losing that million made you $10 million on the back end throughout the history of this magazine because Alan's been on more covers than anybody except for Michael Jordan. And don't let us start counting the receipts of money you made or putting Alan Allison on the cover of your magazine. Mm, yeah. If you don't put if, – if you don't do that – if you don't put him on the cover, then he never gives you the one of the best-selling issues ever, which was the throwback issue with him and the Afro and the first mm, and the next one. He doesn't yeah. do that for you. Yeah. The tribute to Dr. J. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and that magazine put Mitchell and Ness on the map. Yeah. It really did. Mitchell and Ness owes damn near, even though they've been around forever. That one, boom. Yeah. I mean, that's straight up just like boom. That resurrected them the same way Run DMC did Aerosmith. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Scoop Scoopy Ray on the line with Robert Jackson of uh, ESPN. Uh, talking about the slam days, talking about relationships. I got to ask this question, man. And, and it's a two part question. One, do you feel like earlier in your career as you were building with Slam, mainstream writers didn't take you seriously, and concurrently, do you feel like they envied your access? Yes and yes. Tell me more. Um, I think that, and I still deal with that to this day, to be honest with you, okay. um, even as long as I've been in the game. Uh, it's not as much as it used to be. It's not as prevalent as it used to be, but I still deal with the, um, the side eyes I tend to get from other members of the media um, from a credibility standpoint. Uh, but early on, of course, it was unbelievable. Um, and, well, I put it that I want to say and. Got it because I didn't come in the game the traditional way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and, and you've been in it for a long time, so you know how there's almost a certain path that most most people follow uh, to get to certain places in the game. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't come through that path. Um, and because I didn't come through that path, I caught a lot of flack, caught 
a lot of, uh, I don't want to say envy yet. Uh, I caught a lot of disrespect. I caught a lot of not being given any benefit of any doubt. Hmm. Um, and And my credibility across the board was always questioned. Uh, and it was something I had to earn, which is great, you know, because um, I, uh, you know, I, I fought to try to let these cats and people in the industry and in the industry itself realize that even though I'm not part of that pedigree and mm-hmm. I don't have that background, that my work is worth you all at least respecting. Because that's, mm-hmm. that's all I care about is the work. And if I didn't go to the Ivy League schools, or I didn't come from certain quote-unquote journalism program, and I didn't write it this, you know, newspaper, and I didn't do, you know, the grind at the small, whatever. I, if I didn't have that background, can you just look at what we present to you right here at face value and recognize the worth of that and just suspect that? And that's what I had to do over the course of, you know, I was a slam 11 years. So at least, at least 11, 12 years, at least, hmm. at least. And that goes without even going into, you know, any research into my background. And I think if anybody had done any, you know, I don't even want to say deep dive, just a shallow dive, you know, into my background, they would have really, giving me a little bit more credit initially because it was okay when well, he did put in a lot of work it was just coming from a different angle mm-hmm. you know I'm one of the very few in the game that basically you know has a master's degree mm-hmm. you know I'm one of the very few in the game that paid his way through college through grad school my own money mm-hmm. worked paid for it myself <laughs> you know what I'm saying I'm one of the few that was on the national D's list you know, um, so I earned the right, you know, I'm, you know, I got, you know, and it's not like you journalists are walking around with, you know, master's degree with national dean list. Yeah. Especially cats from the hood. Yep. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. They, they paid for it themselves. It wasn't like I was offered a scholarship or, you know, got some, you know, uh, um, opportunity or ride. This is, this is straight hustle. Yep. This is grind and hustle, making it happen. You know, if they looked at it, they realized I started my own company the minute I came out of college and had my own magazine. Yeah. They'd have looked at the freelance work and, you know, they'd be like, okay, he put in work. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't the same traditional work, but it was work. And you, all they had to do was a shallow dive, and I never, never got that. And then Slam was the alternative magazine to what the mainstream was, and that caught hate from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Now, to answer the second part, that's where the envy kicked in. Scoop B Radio. Because it goes back to our Shaq conversation where, like I said, over a course of at least the first year or two, we were doing something that was so unique and so different and so independent that it touched a part of the people we were covering in a way that people that were already covering them didn't touch. Because hmm. we were relating to them in a different way. You know, and and it, we were related to them from a content standpoint, verbally. We're you know visually, you know, 
just the action shots that we used, they weren't being used in any of their magazines. Hmm. You know, NBA photographers love messing with us because we weren't doing just straight portraits and we weren't cropping shots. We were trying to look for emotions and actions and, and, and shots that told stories. You know, we were using, you know, headlines and, and dropping, you know, we were dropping, you know, just bars inside of stories. You know, we had just, we were telling, we, we had a sense of humor. We didn't take ourselves too seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, all that played into like, man, you know, I can, I, I can rock with these dudes. So when you had players like, I can rock with these dudes, you know, it would make other cats envious. Like, here's, I tell you what, I would go, media would go and cover, like, we cover the Bulls games. When Michael came, Michael returned, right? Mike, Mike mm-hmm. left and came back. Michael left slam. I mean, Michael left the game after, I think, issue number two. Before Tony and I even came there, after issue two, Michael left the game. And I remember the publisher, like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? I started the damn basketball magazine, Michael Jordan, you know, leave. <laughs> yeah. So, Michael... I think that was issue five. By issue five, he had come back, and we did the mic cover. Now here's the, and it goes to the. I'm giving you a long answer, but it tells the whole story. We were. I remember we were searching through NBA photography, trying to find a shot to use to put Mike on the cover in his return. Don Morris, who was the uh, creative director, Tony mm-hmm. and Dennis, everybody was looking at all type of different stuff. They found this shot of Mike's face on the bench yelling. <laughs> Great emotion. Side shot. You can see the veins in his head. Nobody, that shot was just sitting there for everybody to use in NBA photos and nobody touched it. <laughs> They're like, this is what we're talking about. Because we were at the time the In Your Face magazine. you know, And this speaks to every, the emotion in his face. You know, and those small type of things, you know what I'm saying? Just those small type of things separated us from everybody else. So when Mike comes back, I go to start covering Mike. And all the other reporters, of course, of, you know, come on, man. Scoop, you know what they're wearing. They got on their suits. They got on their dockers, this, that, and the other. I roll in. I think I had on some cross-color shorts. <laughs> <laughs> Some, uh, I probably know him, he had on some Adidas Sambas or mm. something, I, probably some Adidas Sambas mm-hmm. or uh, some run, DMC, uh, not not some pro models, um, some superstars. Right. And I had on uh, a get paid t-shirt. <laughs> I know I had a get paid t-shirt because Paul and Mike are running it from Chicago and Martin Lawrence was wearing them on his show. Mm-hmm. You know, and Russell Simmons was coming out in him on Def Comedy Jam, but the guys who ran get paid at the time, those are my boys, so I was always repping them. So I was covering the Bulls, rocking that, because that's what we roll, right? Mm-hmm. So when Michael Jordan and Scotty, and I'm like, yo, man, can you, get me, can you get me a T-shirt? Of course, you know what I'm saying? Easy. Mm-hmm. So I roll up to practice, they ask me for T-shirts. I say, hey, man, uh, Paul, Mike, um, Jordan and Pippen want shirts. You know they sent me with a bag. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I walk in the practice, yo, fellas, here with your shirts, right? Mm-hmm. It's, I'm not trying to buy favorites. They asked me because I'm just doing me. Mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden when I walk in the locker room, hey, man, what's up? Hey, yo, can I get 10 minutes of course? <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, well, how does he get 10 minutes and he's not speaking any? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. How does he do that? And it's not favoritism, and that's where the envy comes in. Hmm. That's where the envy comes in. And also, man, the envy came in in the fact that they never saw or never did, like I said, a shallow. Then we have to do a deep dive. A shallow dive and recognize that I benefited from never having to be in everyone's face every day. Hmm. Hmm. I was never a beat reporter. Right. And so that whole history of me going through that grind of doing the small market thing and doing this, I never got on any athlete's nerves. Yeah. And that makes a big difference. There's always a big difference in somebody that you see once in a while. And when you see them, they're not always asking you for something. So I would show up to games whether I'm covered or not, just say what's up. Give a guy a pound, make sure everything's good, and then I'm out. And as human beings, when you're not always asking for somebody, asking somebody for something, there's a stronger chance that when you do, they're more than likely going to give you something. Yeah. You don't ask for much. You don't get on people's nerves that way. And that's why I benefited that. But the envy came in when I did show up to speak to athletes. And they were like, oh, yeah, man, come on, we we good. You know, yeah. Barry Bonds would see me and like, hey, man, what's up? What's going on? Come on, let's talk. And he would not let anybody else talk to him. And he talked to me, and it wouldn't even be an interview. He'd just be like, what's up? Yeah. We just, we'd be talking basketball. He'd be talking about slam. But they thinking that I'm getting access to them. I get it. It's not, it's, it's not that at all. But you all are so shallow that you don't even do a shallow dive to see what it's all about, and it just brings envy. Yeah. Yeah. I can see it. Yeah. I can see it. Yeah. But the, but, but the thing is that you do the work. My thing was to do the work to change their mind. Hmm. My thing was, okay, I know these cats are hating on me. They're hating on the magazine. They're hating on what I represent. They don't think we're credible to do this. We're not supposed to be doing this. All this, you know, all this blah, blah, blah. So it's almost like you build yourself up to, you know, make you think that, once again, like I said about Kobe, it's me against the world. But your work is going to prove them different. So my policy always was to whenever we dropped anything in Slam, that everybody, the media was going to hate it. But the work was going to be so tight that we were going to force them to respect it. When did that moment of respect come for you? Uh, good. Um, that's a good question I never thought of, but now that you ask it, off the top of my head, I, I Scoop think... Scoop B Radio. Because I still don't think it. Like I said, I, when I went over to ESPN, it was a whole other thing coming back again because I wasn't supposed to be there. Right. You know what I'm saying? I was I was not supposed to be. I'm, I'm once again I'm I'm the playground kid that made it to the league. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I'm ready for Austin. I'm Kimber mm-hmm. Walker. Now, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not even Kimber because I don't even get a chance to go to college. I ain't go to you know UConn. I'm basically ready for Austin. Right. You know I'm I'm Steve Francis. You know whatever it is. I'm that cat's not supposed to be in the league. So when I got to ESPN, it, it, so you're asking me when did it realize. I'm even saying by the time I got to ESPN, um, it still wasn't there. But I can tell you a moment that I think resonated with me in that at least there is some type of respect floating around the room for what we do. And that was years ago. I can't remember what year, but Michael Wilbon, when he was at the Washington Post, when I was still a slam, he said to me, um, he said, Scoop, do you realize that you are the most powerful black journalist 
in this room right now, and we were at an NBA All-Star game, I think. Hmm. And I'm like, how the hell? Where do you get that from? You know, and when you and everybody's represented, you know, all the major newspapers, all this, that, and the other. You know, and I'm saying, like, Slam is still a, you know, somewhat small, independent outlet. I, so I didn't understand what he was saying. And I was like, I would explain that. You know, where, where do you get that from? And he said, you're the only black person in this room that has the power to decide what goes on the cover of something. Damn. Right. And th- and I'm like, whoa. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So that kind of let me know that, okay, so there is some, you know, credibility floating around the room for what we're doing. You know what I'm saying? Or at least what I'm doing, you know, and what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah, that so so that kind of yeah yeah that that and it was coming from Wilbon too at the time you know who balanced both worlds exactly exactly and this was before ESPN this for PTI this was this was this was, he, he was but he, Mike Mike and Tony and Donna Britt and I you know I went to Howard University I know you know the Washington Post everybody wrote there was legendary but they were like legends ESPN did not make them legends they were legends in the business anyway you know so but that was that was that was that was a lot coming from him and um yes yeah, so i think if, if there was that moment that's when i started to realize like okay you know okay but but once again i'll tell you he was the same one that i had to have a conversation with because he was giving me beef about having lax date uh deadlines hmm. we're we're in the press room and everybody's cranking out stories trying to hit that you know Get those inches in, you know, before their one a.m. deadline. And said, "I'm just chilling," huh. you know. And they're like, you know, it must, you know, that, you know, Michael and you know some other, but Michael specifically, oh, must be nice, must be nice. <laughs> you know, I'm like, dude, for real. And you know, I, I had a conversation with him after that. Like, look, Mike, no disrespect, man, but you can write that column you just got through filing. It could be horrible. It could be horrible. And you could recover, cover up for it the next day or whenever your next filing date is. It could be two days. You do four weeks, however the next day is. In one or two days, you could cover for that. It's good. Shelf life, one or two days, you're good. And guess what? The Washington Post is not going to fold if you write something bad. If you, if, if you miss a deadline, the paper's not going out of business. Me, what I have to write, not only is it, you're writing 800 words or however many inches you're writing. I got 3,500 to do. I got 3,500. I got three radio. to four 3,500 feature stories to do in one magazine. And guess what? My stories have to stand six weeks. Mm-hmm. If I mess up, the magazine fails, dude. Yeah. You don't have that pressure. So there yeah, it must be nice. It must be nice. You know, respect what we're doing over here. And he cool. was like, "You fair, you know." So the same dude that gave me props was the same dude. You know? <laughs> yeah, because you guys were climbing the ladder, and I think by then, when he paid you that compliment, I think he got it. He may have. I mean, Michael, my man, you know, he's still the god to me to this day. But I'm just saying, it goes. It's it's even you know even when you can think or you can get comfortable thinking that you are in a space where all credibility is, you know, level and the playing field is good. It's, it never is. Scoop B Radio. Overtime. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.